You're listening to the Bass Lessons Melbourne podcast, episode 27, David Searle. Hey everybody, Craig from Bass Lessons Melbourne here. Um, today I'm joined by David Searle from DJS Guitars. Um, thanks very much for coming along, David. Thank you for having me. Um, we've had a great afternoon so far playing lots of David's lovely basses so far. Um, David's a luthier, obviously, and he also teaches people how to build their own guitars and basses. So what we're going to do today is um, get David's opinion from the builder side of things on um, construction techniques and um, woods, mm-hmm. um, all the things that kind of go into making a bass and, and his opinion and experience on the effect that that can have on tone and playability um, and so forth and so mm-hmm. on. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, great to have you here, David. Thank you, thank you. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is the importance of, or the impact that woods has on the tone of the bass. Mm. Um, it is an electric instrument, um, but yet the acoustic properties of wood do have an impact on the sound of the bass. So maybe you could talk us through a little bit about classic tone combinations. Absolutely. A lot of these things are are well documented as far as some of the classic uh, timbers that are used in uh, bass construction. Uh, And I deal with this with my students. It's one of the first things that we talk about uh, when we're building basses and so forth, when we're doing that type of thing. And that is, um, you know, what effects do the timbers have? And I always uh, tell the students that it's rather a little bit like baking a cake you put certain materials into the cake and it's going to end up a certain way, you know. If you, if you put uh, chilli into the cake, it's going to be a hot cake sort of thing. <laughs> so it's a, bit, it's a bit like that with, uh, with any stringed instrument uh, construction. So uh, certain materials will give you a certain outcome. If you've got things like an ash body, whether it's a swamp ash or a northern ash, um, you've got a, a fairly scooped, bright-sounding sort of body that's going to happen in there and you match it with maple neck and maple fretboard and you're going to get something that's pretty aggressive. It's going to be a really quite a, uh, a bright sounding aggressive instrument. There are other materials, uh, mahogany that uh, has more of a mid and a bottom end sound to it when you incorporate it into the body. And you've got other materials like alder and uh, I've got an alder base over there in the rack at the moment that has a very neutral sound. It's uh, Alder sort of gives you uh, equal parts of you know bottom, mid and top end. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you hear that come through in a lot of the classic Fender guitars and Fender basses. Right. Um, you know, your, uh, your classic jazz bass thing when you do hear a lot of the 60s type of jazz basses, they've got uh, quite a, a balanced sort of sound to them. And then you get some of the, the bright slapping type basses, your Marcus Miller type things yeah. that are ash built and you sort of go, that's bright for a reason. Yeah. And, and it's like it's, it's built yeah. for a certain type of thing. Modern building, and when it comes to things like neck-through construction and and bolt-on construction, can affect things as well. And what I've found with a lot of the the contemporary type of builds, there are certain materials that really get you a long way towards um, that really big, deep, rich, modern sound that we sort of associate with some of the the American upmarket uh, base builders, things like Federa and so forth. Some of the materials that they're using, and I've actually replicated a lot within my own builds, magic materials as I call them, things like American black walnut and, uh, and using that with maple. Walnut, very, very good for, for that sort of really sort of almost a compressed but really big rich mid and, and bottom end. Mm. Get a little bit of top end sizzle coming off there as well. 
but um, and I like to fortunately it's still available really quite widely furniture makers use it a lot so we can get it in this country that's always something to think about mm. as a builder in Australia as well you know the availability of timbers uh, can be yeah. a really complex thing to, uh, to try to, to get around um, just recently I, I bought all the elder in Australia like I bought the lot <laughs> There's none other, you know, I've yeah, got, really? I really got the lot. There was only one company bringing it into the into the country and we were using it for our courses that we were running at TAFE and when uh, we decided to pull the pin on that, because we'll be doing it ourselves very soon, um, I knew that they had a stockpile of it and I bought the lot. So other people have been calling me up saying, uh, that timber, you know. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I've got it sort of thing. I bought everything. Okay. Um, so some timbers are more available than others. Unfortunately, walnut is um, because of the furniture people, is still available, but it's magic material for bases to get into that that classic um, neck through construction, mm. you know, New York type build. Okay. Of, of walnut. Uh, yeah, walnut. Walnut is, is really good. Now we've actually got a couple of bases here. That um, this one here is a, a neck through type of uh, type of base and has a walnut in the, the back of the body and that one there does as well so if you flip that one over you'll actually sort of see some some like type Probably. materials in the in the back there these came from the same stick of uh, walnut in that type of thing and their their construction in the middle is maple and then they've got a fancy cap on the front there mm. they've actually got soft maple does, and on the top. I know sometimes these are referred to as tone caps uh, or tone tone no the but caps do you have you found any effect of on the top no, that. no. no they don't it's, it's only it's only a small amount these ones here probably got around about six mil yeah. uh, in the top of them so they're, they're not actually having much bearing over yeah. the overall sound of the instrument at all yeah. um federa came up with the the terminology tone block for whatever was happening in the back this one doesn't have it hmm. that one does yeah. it's actually um a piece of uh, maple in the back there uh, that's connected to the uh, wenge or winge, depending on, on how you say it, um, in through there. And they, they do a lot of that sort of stuff. A lot of manufacturers have, have copied this sort of thing. I don't think that actually has a lot of bearing on the sound either, by the way, because okay. it's, I think it's mainly about what the main part of the mm -hmm. neck is uh, built with. And I, I do have a bit of a theory about that, that possibly uh, the saying, oh, it's a tone block and it, it does have something to do with it, but it may be actually more about using the maple that they put into their necks, into their necks more economically. I think it actually might be a financial ah, decision okay. that they took originally. Could it could also they, be a, a weight thing? No. Oh, it can, but they use different materials in, in that part of the, the body as well. So yeah. um, knowing how timber comes, the thicknesses, you know, I'm talking about commercially when you've actually got to buy it as mm -hmm. raw material, how that comes and what's the, the what the most economical uh, way to buy it? Mm. I think they're actually buying it, and the way that they actually splice their uh, their headstocks together and so forth, it's like they've at some stage, way back, might have been 20, 25 years ago, they've gone. We've got to build it this certain way, and we've got to laminate something in the back there because we can only get our material at the right price mm, at that sort okay. of thickness. Yeah, right. Nobody's come up with that theory yet, but I'm looking <laughs> at it from a builder side and going. Their economics. Their economics, and they've called it a tone block, and isn't it a feature, and lots of stuff. But no, that's that's a yeah. I might be. I might have people upset about that too. But um, oh, that's, it's only a good thing <laughs> in this theory. It's a theory. It's it's one yeah. of those types of things. And I've gone no as a builder. That's it's it's certainly a lot cheaper to build that way with a tone right. block in the back of okay. the thing. It's it's cheaper. You don't have to buy big and, thick sections of and, timber. And um, while we're on this topic, yeah, neck through versus bolt on. Big difference in the way that they sound. Mm. 
Okay, so from a construction side of things, there's a lot more complexity in a neck through to actually mm. build a neck through, and that's reflected in prices. And you see that commercially, not just in my work, but other people's makes as well. Um, the the complexity is that you've got to set them up and get them correctly set up. The geometry's got to be right for them to actually work as a um, you know a, an instrument that isn't compromised. That when you put the hardware on it, it's not this weird thing that just physically doesn't work anymore. Uh, you've got on the on the the uh, neck through thing. You've actually got beautiful accessibility all the way to the top. And that's mm. that's the beauty of all that type of, of construction, whether it's a guitar or a bass. Uh, you've got better accessibility than than a bolt on type of neck. Uh, downside is the um, I suppose when you're working on an instrument, you've got the whole thing as one piece. You can't work on it as two separate parts. You can't yeah. do a production run of the bodies and the production mm. of the necks and then bring them together at the end. Uh, and even when I teach people how to build uh, bases, I, until they get a little bit further down the track, and because there is more complexity in the build and the construction, we, we focus on the, the bolt-on type necks uh, with that type of thing because we can separate the two halves and go, okay, we're working mm. on the body, now we're working on the neck. And tonally? Tonally different, yeah, they're quite different. I find that the, the bolt-ons are far more immediate in their sound, so you get a snappier uh, really immediate sound right. out of them, uh, and it's a, it's a well-noted thing even in the guitar, like six-string guitar type mm -hmm. of thing. It's like comparing a Stratocaster to a, uh, a Les Paul. Um, Les Pauls are glued in; they're not neck through, admittedly, but they're um, what's going on there. Just to sort of explain it in a mechanical sort of sense, mm -hmm. with a uh, a bolt-on type of neck, uh, you've you, the body becomes excited. By the the base, or in this case, base strings, mm -hmm. really rapidly. It's it's like the whole thing becomes, um, and the sound wise, reacts quickly to the the striking of the note and playing of the note. But with a neck through, you've got a bloom in there. It's it's kind of the head thing's heavier. It's much more dense. The whole thing's mm -hmm. uh, you know literally as one piece, and it takes a little bit longer for the string to get the whole body vibrating really? so it's almost like this big fat bloom you get the, the initial note attack and, uh, attack and then the sound blossoms okay. afterwards it sort of <coughs> fattens out yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah so you, <coughs> again you can change things with pickups and electronics and so forth mm. but that's that's a, a noted thing that it's been I suppose really quite um, well known in the six string guitar side of things but I, I really hear it in, in these sorts of instruments as well. Mm. This is an interesting one with the, the Wenge or Wenge neck. Um, this thing here, I expected when I put this one together, it's got a, um, an ebony fretboard on the thing, but I expected with this to be brighter and snappier, but it's not. This, this is actually quite a, a deep, complex sound in this sort of thing, far more so than the, the maple on maple type of they thing. It kind of, they kind of sound how they look. Yeah. On they one do. hand, you know, it's kind of chocolatey. And yeah, it's a bit and more, it does. Yeah, know, bright and blingy. Watery yeah. and blingy, yeah. Yeah, it's got that sort of thing. <laughs> that sort of thing going on. Yes. My, um, my first bass was um, an old Ibanez musician. Really? Yeah. And yeah. that was neck through because yes. they were copying the Olympic. I've thing. got a six string version of that. <clears throat> the guitar? A guitar, 1978 one. My, yeah. It's my very first guitar. So. And um, I remember buying it, it was all neck through. And I, I was kind of young and impressionable and I just had yeah. this thing in my head neck through was better yeah you know but it's just yeah. it's different right you know it's yeah, what yeah. we talked about it's horses for courses it is just it's a different sound you know it is yeah cool it is um and similar to that vein 
um, we were talking earlier about uh, body through stringing versus yes. um, front loading on, on the bridge because mm -hmm. uh, I have a bass that has the option to string through the body. Yep. My old Lakeland Daryl Jones, I could string that through went, body. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think there's a common perception that it gives you more sustain or a tighter sound. Mm -hmm. And after a while of trying to find strings that could fit, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I realized there really didn't seem to be any difference from stringing mm. through the bridge and stringing through the body. Mm. Is there any science behind it? Does it make a difference? I don't know about the science. <coughs> um, I don't know about the science, but you know, sound-wise, I can't hear the difference. Yeah. I really can't. I, I've built um, things with uh, string throughs, and certainly the bridges that I use, I use a lot of hip shop bridges and so forth in my construction. Uh, I've got the option of going through, I don't bother. I, I yeah. do the top loading. It's a far more practical thing as far as uh, a working musician to, you know, change you have a, yeah, change of string <clears throat> midstream, in the middle of the, you know, not mid, mid song <laughs> or anything like that, but mid, <laughs> mid, gig. mid gig when something has gone yeah. astray. Just yeah. um, the ability to flick a string out and, and yeah. pop a new one is fantastic, but the sound, I. I Maybe there's a uh, there is some validity with that with uh, six string guitars mm -hmm. where you, you've got the Telecaster type guitar that has a string through body and, and out through the top. There's a certain snappiness and tightness about that. Uh, I just don't hear it in a bass at all. Mm. There's just it's a different kind of energy being generated off those strings that the frequencies are a lot lower. I guess you know. Yeah. So it just takes a lot more energy for it yeah, to happen. Yeah. So I've, I've built both ways. Yeah. And, and again, I came up with exactly the same problem. You know, some of the grander scales, and these are 35 inch yeah. instruments, and when I have to build at 36 and so forth, I can't find strings long enough mm -hmm. as well. So it's like you, you almost you, yeah. you're cornered into really limited types of strings. Yeah, and, and we've talked about that before is, you know, yeah. if you're going to have a bass of a certain caliber or quality, everybody's different and everybody prefers mm. different feelings on their fingers, you know, whether you want stainless steel yeah. or nickel. You want to have the option of buying whatever brand and gauge of string you want. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important when you're making basses is to, yeah. is to not necessarily, you know, I guess it depends on, on the kind of build. Yeah. But if you're building a, you know, a kind of all-rounder bass, like I would say this mm. is a bit of an all-rounder bass, like, mm -hmm. You want it to have the customer or the player to be able to impart sure. their part on it, you know? Absolutely. Uh, most of my builds that I'm doing at the moment, it's, uh, you know, I deal with the clients mm. one on one. We, we go through design and, <clears throat> and specs and so forth. And um, yeah, you've got to work with what they want as well. You can't yeah. actually force upon them um, certain types of things. If they say they want a certain type of string and that's what they play, or it's, you know, you've yeah. got to deal with that as a maker yeah. and you. Yeah, so to build things with compromises like, you know, string through yeah. bodies, it's like, oh, gee. And then you go to tell them, okay, you, you've four or $5,000 base, you can only use one type of string on the planet. <laughs> That's a problem. It, yeah, That's it is, problem. you know. That's a good and, and also, you know, we're, bass players were fickle. A year later, we might go, do you know what, I want to change. Yeah. And, um, and having that option is definitely yeah, yeah. a good thing. There is also one other thing with string through. You can kind of get away with it, but they're anecdotally, because I have asked about this particular type of thing, and that's with flat wounds. Um, there's a lot of flat wound players out there, mm. and to put a big break angle on a flat wound string, 
over a bridge because the, the tape was because the, uh, because of the um, oh, the, the wrap. Winding? Yeah, yeah, you can you can almost sort of like um, where, where it wraps, they mm. almost Brilliant. come open and, and, and expose the centre core where they actually Makes come sense. across there. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've asked questions about that through uh, Ausbase Forum and mm. so forth, and and some people go, yeah, I've been doing it for years, it's all good. But um, but sometimes uh, other people um, have you know identified you know, catastrophic failure mid song kind of thing where right, yeah, she yeah. comes apart sort yeah. of thing and it's like it's always on one of the bottom ones or something yeah, like that yeah. where they're they're really going at it and um, <clears throat> that's not what you want either so no. that it doesn't happen with the top loader mm. it's just not going to and um, I guess linked to that string gauge you know um, yeah. I was talking talking to you earlier on about. On my F bass, I like to use a fairly light gauge yeah. B string. Yes. Um, because I find that gets rid of a, more overtones. Uh -huh. So the lighter the gauge, um, yeah. I guess it's going to be pulled tighter. The lighter the gauge, no, generally you've got less uh, physical tension. tension on it. You don't need as much tension to actually keep the, um, the thing um, at tune. So the heavier, heavier the gauge string, the more tension you've right. got on it. Yeah, I guess that's um, the, what but there's more mass, I guess, so you're maybe more likely to get more. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's actually exciting the body too much, and it's it's actually introducing overtones yeah. with a particular. Like if you're a light player, you can get away with much mm. lighter strings and so forth. But some people are very heavy-handed. I think it's more to do for me anyway. It's actually more to do with matching the the thickness of the strings, and always thinking about in in this case B, what the B is going to actually do. And I'm looking at B's at 35 and, and standard like, uh, you know, four strings and so forth at 34 and, and under. You can get away with a bit that, with that sort of stuff. I generally string all these things up with a neutral type of thing. So I'm thinking about what gauge the E string is at, say, 105, yeah. you know, and, and just going through a standard type of thing. You can probably at 35, you get away with a 120. I've this got 125s or 128s, yeah. depending on the brand. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I've got DR strings on some of these things and, and for DRs. I think one, and 125, 122. Some, some, that sort of thing. But they, you know, they do a lot bigger than that. They go out to 135s and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And I, I think that's probably, that, well, that's absolutely overkill on a, on a longer scale type of bass. Okay. You just don't need that sort of thing for that sort of definition. You certainly do probably on shorter scale to keep the, mm. the definition in there. But um, we have a lot of students that prefer lighter gauge strings. And I've picked up some things that have had uh, light gauge strings and they're beautiful to play and they get a great sound. Yeah. Um, as long as it's not too muddy on the bottom end, um, you know that's that's important to have some mm -hmm. sort of clarity on that side of things, uh, but again, you know you can you can do a lot with your preamp that big massive strings don't necessarily you know you can cover a lot with that you know yeah, if you yeah. want a bigger bottom end on the thing tweak a little Just bit more on it and it's there you know yeah, or yeah. at the amp as well so um, you know you've got you've got way more control in the bass than you do than a six string guitar yeah. this this far more. You came up with some really interesting stuff before yeah I've not thought about and. Um, it was about you know you've we talked about what we would you know some of the things that we'd actually uh, discussed today in the videos and so forth and standard sort of thing is is talking about where pickups sit and so forth within the body and it's pretty well established and what people want to actually hear it's been established um, from the, the the Bible of Fender where a lot of these pickups will actually go and work yeah. and, and moving things around only minutely can change things your classic thing is your your bridge position 
pick out 60s 70s 60s 70s type of thing is it real yeah it is and it's only five to eight millimeters mm. it's, it's only a small amount you can move things around a bit you can get more or less mud or definition into that um, uh, sweet uh, p base position mm. uh, or the neck position um, on uh, a lot of uh, you, your bases as well uh, but realistically and even when i set out say a 35 inch scale yeah. uh, instrument as opposed to a 34 I do actually uh, figure out um, the position of those according to the scale length. So I, didn't, I don't actually place those in the same sort of position as a 34 inch um, scale base. So this at 35 has to be adjusted so it's in the same kind of sweet spot relevant to the scale length. The scale length. Yeah, and it's the same with 36. You could, like if you've got a 36 that's got a single pickup, uh, whether it's a you know like a, a bridge type pickup uh, for a fretless um, yeah. type of uh, job or something like that, you've got to think about well what's that relevant position for a 36 inch that's going to give you well either a 60s or a 70s type of tone, and and likewise with a single pickup type of thing, um, Federa do the the Anthony Jackson model with a uh, a single pickup. And, and I'm sure they're, they're looking at, you know, where's that big fat sound, like a P-Bass? That's what they've hunted out there uh, with that type of thing. But you came up with another really interesting thing that I've not thought about before, and that is, actually, you might want to explain about this one. That's about the number of frets and where you're striking it to yeah. create that slap sound. This is a really... So one of the things I've found is with a lot of 24 fret basses is that they don't have that classic slap tone. Um, when you play them, they're a little bit more mid, mid rangey it's hard to get that nice fat yeah. scoop. And part of my thinking maybe um, is because the number of frets. So if you have a 24 fret bass, yeah. which is this 20? That's 22 on that 22. one. 22. Yep. So you had a 24 fret bass, it would come to about here or yep, so. That's right. So you'd actually slapping here mm -hmm. instead of here. Yeah. The string is more taut here yeah yeah whereas yeah. Um, here there's a bit more bounce to it a bit more fat it does yeah the Just string will vibrate further like and, what yeah. the effect you get from playing over the fingerboard yeah, to playing over to here yeah. it makes sense that it would have the same kind of tonal issue yeah, yeah. from here because um, that's one thing when I build and, and set up basses that I, I do want to hear the difference I'll play up here and yeah. in, in what I call the Jayco uh, yeah. Astorius thing and then I'm, I'm, I'm listening for that that double bass, sweet big double bass sound up over here. Yeah, can yeah. I actually, can I get that sort of thing going? And uh, it, it, and it changes as you as yeah. you come along the string. It changes. It's, it's interesting, it you know. Sense. And then so normally if you've got twenty four frets, you might, the pickups might be slightly further towards the bridge they as well. Are, they often are. And yeah, so you're forced that, to that's going to affect. You know, you're not getting that sixties yeah. or seventies jazz yeah. bass sound from a twenty four fret yeah. humbucker. Yeah. potentially further back to the bridge so that's something to think about if you do you know if you do play slap bass if you are into that or you like that certain sound and yeah. you're questioning why you can't get it yeah um it could be i think it, yeah and i think federa mike pope from i don't know if you've ever seen mike pope's custom bass from federa no so the mike pope viceroy bass you should check this out on youtube okay. is a 24 fret bass yeah. but the last three or four frets of the fingerboard is magnetic and removable. Ah, oh, no, I have seen that, yeah. So you little, can take it out yeah. and you get your 21 fret bass. And you can get back up there. And you there. get that slap tone. Ah, <clears throat> I've seen that thing. I know the thing you're talking so, about. So yeah, yeah. I think that's actually what sparked my yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. We think there is more energy produced by 
uh, notes, uh, uh, sorry, in the string up in this sort of area yeah. as opposed to back over here. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. I mean, you yeah. know, things like on jazz guitars, you know, big jazz box guitars, they've got pickups way up here. As further they can go towards the, yeah. the middle of the string, the, fine the fatter it sort of sounds. And, yeah. and, and you can hear it when you're yeah. with your right hand when yeah. you're actually playing the, the, the there's definitely something to think it's about got to you be know. something in there um, that, finger style to, to that's slap a, that style that may be a first you might have come up with a well, Mike, Mike Polk from Federa but yeah, yeah. yeah. nobody <laughs> said anything you've said it now really, so. yeah you know, and that's just through having okay. a 24 fret bass yeah. Yeah. and going why doesn't it sound Same like the same. 21 fret thing yeah because the you know, like the Fender um, you know because some of them are only 20 frets and all that sort of stuff yeah. really yeah just short number of frets and, yeah. but boy Look at that sound. There it is. Exactly. It's, it's really big. Even yeah. a P-bass, a slapped P-bass sounds like a Mack truck sometimes exactly. too, doesn't it? It's got a really big, yeah. really big sound. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah I, we'll call that the Craig theory. I reckon that's, uh, <laughs> there, there's, there could be something in that. There yeah. could be something in that. Um, classic um, bass player discussion issue situation, active versus passive. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed mm. about your basses which yeah. I really like and with the F bass that I play is that when you when the preamp is on neutral and you yeah. switch between active yeah. and passive the, the tonal characteristic of the bass Very similar. is is negligible it doesn't really yeah. change much yeah. and I think that's testament to um, you know the sound of the wood really coming through yeah. the pickups and all working together and, yeah. and that's one of the things I would definitely look for if you're looking at an active bass is that the preamp isn't imparting too much tonality when the bass when it's off. Mm. You know, I've, I've played mm. basses where the preamp is in you know neutral position, the, the tone controls are off, mm. and you switch between it, and there's a Just massive volume change. Jumps, yeah, and you do hear that with the Aguilar, and I've, I've felt that with the Nord Strand yeah. as well. Um, these ones, the current production, are Glockenklang, and mm. one of the the selling things um, with the Glockenklang preamps, whether it's a two-band or a three-band, is that they say that there's virtually, it's almost inaudible uh, when you're going from active to passive, because you actually do see it, or you hear that, sorry, the, that big jump, um, and uh, it's almost uh, mid-song, you couldn't do it. Mm. Mid, you, you just, no. You've either got to pick one or the other yeah. and dial in the right volume level and, and go with that, but these, you, when people play them, they're a bit surprised. I, I pull out the, um, uh, the master volume knob, yeah, the bank goes well. into the same thing, yeah. and, uh, and it flicks into it and like, oh really? You can hear the, the change of the sound because it's, you know, it's, it's not got all that other stuff going on mm. in there. Uh, but it, it, I the colorization maybe is... Maybe we could just demonstrate it. Do you want to pass me that um, the lead down there on the floor? Yeah, sure. I'll plug it in and you can just hear. Are we live on the... We've just got to press, see the little... Right hand button. The mute button. Yep. Alright. So. Preamp flat. Preamp flat but on. Mm -hmm. Preamp off. Not a lot there, is it? It still sounds like the same bass. Yes, it does. Um, it does. The other thing I like about these Glocks is that the treble is also, it also works, there's a treble uh, roll-off uh, that you can in do passive. in passive mode. Excellent. Now some other um, preamp makers are actually getting on board with that and so there's always it. a frustration. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing it. Um, uh, Nordstrand have, in their current production have just gone to that sort of thing as yeah. well. Uh, these were, uh, I bought these through um, this series of, of preamps through George at um, 
Uh, yeah, bass gear direct, isn't it? And um, and it's fantastic. Like he's mm. he's wonderful to deal with as well. So I chose to to uh, deal with him with buying these, and um, had done a lot of reading. Had a student in class who'd incorporated one of these into one of his basses. Great sounding thing. Um, and I just love the fact that you could actually roll off treble in passive mm, mode. And then, because the, I've got a couple of bases over there in the rack that uh, have one's got an Aguilar and one's got a Nord strand. The the thing that upsets me about those things, they're both great sounding preamps, but you go to passive mode, and, and you, I love being able to roll some of the top end off. Exactly. Yeah. And you, know, you you want a, a big yeah. thumping sound. And you, and you don't you only need three knobs, for example, on on yeah. my F. I've got yeah. volume, volume tone like a jazz yes, yes. and then bass mid treble yeah you've got more so the tone control works in both active and passive ah good yeah yeah, um, yeah. but obviously the preamp's only an active yeah so you, you can eliminate a knob yeah yeah <laughs> and it's always good to eliminate knobs in life <laughs> well yeah in, indeed that's true that's true it is it is in so many ways in so many ways yeah so the um Look, the active versus passive thing. I, I was saying before that I, I started a thread on Ausbase Forum probably about oh, six or 12 months ago, and it was a little bit like uh, pouring petrol on the ground and throwing a match into it. <laughs> it took off in all sorts of different directions. Uh, took on a life of its own because uh, it really polarises people about mm. active or passive. Uh, where should we go with all that sort of stuff? And my question was at the time, with modern day... Um, uh, amps, the ability to, to tone sculpt at the amp, have we now gone past the requirement of having onboard preamps because mm. we can do so much at the amp. Once upon a time, we couldn't, you know, you, that was the reason for doing all that sort of stuff because you really wanted to be able to do that, um, uh, you know, on the fly while you're playing. Yeah. Um, and uh, people very, very much into the old school type of thing. No, it messes around with your, your sound. Keep it simple. Keep it, uh, keep it passive. And other people were like, no, no, I want to be able to do it on the fly. I want to mm. be able to. So it's very, very um, polarizing. And one of the, um, the forum members sort of said, well, look, if you're building exotic bases or, or more upmarket types of things, it kind of just has to be there, you know? So and that's the reason why I, I don't build any of my production stuff without them. It's not that I... Um, like okay. it more than a yep. passive type of situation, but it's a, 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 the person was right. Now, it was a bit like, oh yeah, that's that's true. You know, if they're spending the dollar on it, they will expect that to be there, unless you're actually building something for yep. someone that specifies no, it's going to be exactly, a passive yeah. instrument. And on that sort of note, when I do build a passive instrument, I build the ability within the structure of the actual base for it to be converted to oh. an active instrument. It's important. And there's some stuff that you can do inside the control <coughs> cavity that sets it up to be converted later cool. on, whether it, they sell it on and, and you can do something for someone later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because when you're drilling holes in the top of a, you know, an exotic top or something like that, there's got to be a certain thickness for the components to work within, yeah, yeah. and you need to have all that right. Because mm. yeah, even to have the configuration set up, uh, yeah. you know. So I've got one client at the moment that I'm, I'm quoting on uh, and, and sorting through a, a job, and that'll have mm. he wants a, a Mike Pope mm. uh, preamp in that. Excellent. And. Um, yeah, beautiful preamps, and and but he wants it as a passive instrument first. He may live with it as a passive instrument, yeah. but he wants the ability somewhere down the track to go. No, active. I yeah. need to do that. And all my band situation requires that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely it's definitely a useful thing to have, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. I don't think yeah. if I picked up a bass and plugged it in, and it felt great and it sounded great and it was passive, 
I wouldn't. Yeah, you'd live with you know. them. And seeing that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and seeing that, I used to have a, a Lakeland Daryl Jones. Yeah. <clears throat> and I ended up putting an active preamp in that because I was after that Marcus Miller jazz yeah, thing, yeah. and need, I couldn't get it. Need to pull the center out and really exactly. Like I had to have that basement thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's like I was saying to you earlier on. A lot of bass players, it seems like we, if you've started out on the active bass thing eventually people come round to just your mean potatoes fender e-bass passive or your j-bass thing it does you plug it in and if it's if it's a good yeah it's a good one yes it sounds good you know and there's just something organic Mm. about not having it knowing that it's just going from fingers string pickup and out Uh, yeah yeah you know? Absolutely, it's a funny thing. I've got a, a friend uh, who is quite a, a collector, maybe even a hoarder of bases, and uh, he's got all sorts of exotica. Um, you name it, he's got it. Fantastic! Right. It's it's a great uh, for me as a builder. It's been fantastic to be able to lay my hands on a lot of exotic things that you yeah. generally only see on the internet or yeah. in magazines and so forth. All of them have got preamp this and preamp that and, you know, all the bells and whistles. And he, with the builds that he gets me to do for him now, has gone to passive instruments. Mm. Even beyond that, it's like pick up to an output, maybe an on-off switch. And it's all about him being able to control, like he has nice uh, uh, preamps and, and mm. all the things that you need in the actual, um, yeah. at the, the coal face, back on the, on the actual amplifier. But he's he's got to the point where no, as a player, he wants to be able to um, dictate everything by what he can do with his yeah. hands. Now he's uh, he's much got more, to that point as a player where he can yeah. do that. It's much well. more of an and yeah. organic thing. Yeah, very much so. So yeah. he wants the ability to attack the strings hard and for it to sound like that, mm. but he wants it to be, if it's soft, it's soft. It's mm. all up to him. But I think so. preamp technology has definitely come a, a very long way, especially since the 80s, 90s, when mm. you were those active EMG things. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've been there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's definitely come a long way. Like hearing the squawk and clang and the, yeah. the Aguilar stuff and the, the F bass things, they are much more um, enhancing mm. instead of imparting their own tone. On yes. It. And yes. I think that's it's important to think about marrying up your preamp with your pickups mm. with whatever kind of bass you have. Yeah. You yeah. know, they they all kind of work together. They do. Well. It is. It is very much a, a marriage of lots of different parts and yeah. so forth. And that's and I think that's why people maybe question the price tag on, you know, high end handmade bases and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But what I find is you're paying for knowledge of wood, mm-hmm. um, you know, ergonomics and knowing what components work together. Yes. Which takes, as I'm sure you know, a lot a of while. time and yeah. an error. And that's why a lot of people when they build when they buy these warmer things and stick together. Yeah. yeah. It may all look great on paper, but you stick yeah. together, and, and for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. and and that's why, yeah, you know, you pay you pay the money you to, get, to you get. get that. Yeah, to get that right. Fortunately, with my um, uh, with building and teaching people how to build guitars and basses, um, and a lot more people building basses these days that come to me to do that type of thing, I have the luxury of them bringing lots of different things in mm. as far as pickups and preamps. And so I can actually hear, I get to hear a lot of these things, like uh, we were talking before about the Sadowski um, uh, pickups and the Sadowski preamp, and mm. those things are a formidable force. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I had a student that brought those things in, and it just about, oh, uh, 
the uh, the power out of yeah. that base was ridiculous. Yeah. It was just uh, you were saying about the warning that they <laughs> they supplied do not you know turn up all the way, and and it's, <clears throat> and it's obvious when you you know. So, but yeah. I wouldn't know about that unless I'd actually had students coming in and bring these things. And I've come across some beautiful uh, uh, you know pickups and P base pickups and things mm. like that. That uh, and some of them not necessarily high end things that have just been wonderful. Definitely, the, the market today is um, it's, it's really good um, yeah. in terms of base base gear technology yeah. I think it's came a long way it does it has indeed um, yeah uh, and you've obviously talked about you know your appreciation for Federa yeah, um, yeah. and you can't go past Leo Fender mm-hmm. I always find it amazing how right he got it back in yeah. 1950 whatever when I was thinking about that on the way over here today because there's, there's, I think there's three, there's still three leading companies around the world. Federa have um, have definitely led the way with the um, the big single uh, cut type of yeah. um, instrument, neck through type of instrument. There was a reason behind behind that, and that's from the Anthony Jackson days when they were putting yeah. that type of um, um, instrument together. Mm-hmm. They connected the body to the neck a long way up because Anthony Jackson wanted to build this big contrabass type thing, he wanted extended range, he wanted you know 36 inch scale and, and uh, six strings and so forth and they were unsure whether the neck was actually going to be able to take mm. that kind of uh, pressure from the, the strings and so forth. So that's where that came from, it was actually about shortening up the bit that could be bent yep. um, from the strings. Um, so and, and still so many um, companies around the world are still looking to them as a bit of a design cue and so forth. Um, they're, they're an interesting thing. I've actually sort of seen some of the really early sort of stuff that they did back in the maybe late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s sort of stuff, and some of it was pretty clunky and weird looking. It played really nice, beautifully built, Yeah. but they've actually now got to a point where they've, they've sort of stabilised and they've got maybe a half a dozen styles that they build in that they've evolved to. Yeah. So it's been a, a real evolution, and yeah. some of their early stuff looks damn weird you know it's and I've played it and it's like wow they didn't quite get the proportions of that right and some of the stuff now is beautiful they've really really nailed yeah, a lot yeah. of the shapes and construction techniques they, they know what they're doing with there but the early stuff was you know yeah, there was you know there's times there where things didn't work and obviously yeah, they, they were they were moving through it as well they, yeah. they've obviously evolved because they're looking at it going that's not quite right yeah. uh, Leo Fender you think about the P bass and the jazz bass, it hasn't evolved at all as far as body shape goes. Well, not much. There's been a few derivative things that they've done off it. But to get it right like that, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> and remember, he, did, he wasn't a player. He, yeah. he was just a designer and you know a maker of you know electronics yeah. and lots of stuff. So that's, that's quite extraordinary. And I was thinking about that very thing uh, coming over here, and I, I love designing and, and building and, and, and so forth. And, and um, and uh, you can sort of see where the DNA of some of my things have come from, and especially with the bolt-on neck uh, type construction yep. and some of this type of thing. Uh, the other company that is an interesting one, um, and it's kind of polarising, I guess, with with what they do, is uh, Dingwall. Okay. Uh, so as a as a modern construction, um, mm-hmm. it's it's a really interesting sort of thing they're doing with the fan frets. That's I think they're a company that a lot of other. Um, musical instrument companies are looking at going oh they're kind of designing like that they're they're leading the way with that type of thing and they're kind of gravitating towards where that where they're going with that, mm. that type of uh, their they, builds they, and they've stuff. been around for a while though, they, have, yeah. they have yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's kind of like for whatever reason now they've, they've gained more momentum yeah. uh, they've got more people playing that type of thing uh, they've gone to like it's 37 inches on their 
on the bottom of their uh, yeah. on their B string, and it does make a certain sound, uh, very big, you know, uh, bold sort of sound. For me, they're not handmade instruments. Uh, they would have upmarket versions that are, yep. you know, a lot more. Actually, that's a funny thing. Handmade every instrument's handmade. No, you know, there's no yeah. machine that actually puts it together in the end and all yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, but um, it's a it's an amazing piece of. Um, industrial design that's what I look at it mm. like because they do look like they they look like a bit of a weapon don't they but <laughs> but they are they're not really influencing my builds but I actually can see that they're influencing a lot of other people around mm. the place so Federa obviously Fender classic sort of things and uh, and Dingwall are really sort of influencing mm. a lot of people um, yeah and look uh, mimping what was the stuff they say about mimicking is the Form of flattery. flattery, something like that. Yeah, yeah and it's it's true, yeah. and I'm sure it's frustrating if you're coming up with the mm. original type of thing. Uh, but it's, if you are a, a groundbreaker and a leader, you're, you're going, going to be that. It's going to it's going to happen. Yeah. You know? So, could you tell us a little bit about how you became, you know, became to be uh, Luther? Where did it all begin? Yeah. Okay. So, um, very first days were high school project. So a lot of people build things in you know in high school and social cases and all that sort of stuff for me it was a graphics project designed an ergonomic guitar back in the 80s early 80s and so forth uh, weird looking thing it was but uh, I designed it and bought a, a neck and did a you know the, as a lot of people do sort of constructed this thing um, didn't have to build it but I wanted I was compelled to build this thing I've been playing for a few years and so forth and uh, did all lots of things wrong so this is pre-internet pre-books there was nothing to work yeah. by there at all apart from um, you know, I was fortunate to have a teacher lend me a Stratocaster uh, over a weekend and, and sort of you know, go home and measure a few things up and, and make some notes about how this and that went together. Uh, and, you know, many years later, I figured out what he'd actually given me over the weekend. And this is a 16 or 17 year old. It was a 1964 Stratocaster, pre CBS Stratocaster. Wow. He said, Look after it over the weekend. <laughs> Don't take it on the school bus. Your parents have to pick you up. Drop it back on Monday, all that sort of stuff. Wow. I was, you know, I was obviously in the case, in the original yeah. case, and all sort of stuff. You know, three uh, tone sunburst type thing, sixty four straight. Wow. No idea what I had as a kid. Do you kid. still have the measurements? Uh, no, I, well, yeah, it's all the standard sort of things. Yeah. But uh, so I did that sort of stuff and built a few other instruments after that through into my early twenties, and it was around about uh, I was around at 27, 28, and I wanted to build a jazz guitar. I wanted to build an L five jazz guitar, and I approached uh, Philip Carson Crickmore, one of Melbourne's. Um, and one of Australia's great uh, acoustic guitar makers and uh, he was offering courses for that type of thing and it was just financially outside of what I could do at the time and he was he was building jazz guitars at the time and I had actually gone into uh, jewellery making and gold and silversmithing so I was really good with metal work okay. working on tiny scales detail. Yeah, detail really important detail which makes things like inlay work mm. and all that sort of stuff it's a cinch that's just <laughs> second nature that sort of stuff uh, so uh, that's a bit unfair having come from that side of things and you know being able to work at that sort of scale I know but um, I couldn't do that sort of course through him it was too expensive but he had these L5s that he was building and he needed some tail pieces and some brackets and bits and pieces made up that you couldn't buy at the time so I was like yeah I can build those I'll make those for you so I made these tail pieces up for him and uh, and side brackets and, and so forth and and uh, and then I stayed 
I didn't go away. You know, I, I stayed and worked with him on Fridays and Saturdays for two years. Okay. You know, I just did all the grunt work and it was acoustic yeah. guitar making. Yeah. It was put, you know, making internal <clears throat> bracing and gluing things in place. And I didn't get to carve any necks or do any of the really important stuff, but I watched this master at yeah. work. And Phil was a really particular maker. And like, if you had something not quite right, he'd just bin it and say, get another bit of timber out and make it absolutely perfect. But he enjoyed the fact that I understood it wasn't just down to millimetres, it was down to, you know, fractions of millimetres and it just had to be so. He really enjoyed that side of things. So I learned a lot just being able to see all this sort of stuff and and, and um, working and had, having the pressure on to do these things in a really specific way. And, and these, were commer- these weren't toys, these were things that were being sold to the public. It had yeah. to be just right. Um, and from there, um, fast forward a few more years, kept on building a few things myself at home, some of my own designs and so forth um, that I'll be featuring uh, uh, fairly soon as well that had more of a 50s, um, I want to say Jetsons kind of um, oh, yeah. sort of theme going on. No basses at this sort of stage, but it was all uh, bolt-on type uh, neck guitars. And uh, I was working at NMIT um, as a TAFE teacher and uh, I had a uh, head of what was the performing arts at the time, uh, Peter Lambert, come along and sort of go, oh, here you make uh, guitars and basses and all that sort of stuff. Can I come around and have a look? So he came around to my place and, and sort of went, oh, my God, you know, we've got to build a course out of this thing. Let's, let's, oh, let's okay. do this sort of stuff and, and let's, uh, you know, let's uh, do uh, a guitar course. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah. I suppose we can do that. Before I knew it, dates were set and, you know, we were about to, see, you know, people were enrolling and it just had to happen. Yeah, right. and I, I knew what I was doing and all that stuff. When was this? That was around about five years ago now. Okay. So, um, and, uh, you know, I'd just been building for my own pleasure and, 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 you know, I'd already accumulated a lot of instruments at home. There are a lot there. Um, and had bought plenty of classic instruments and lots of stuff. So I knew what I was doing and I'd already elevated my building skills up quite high. Um, and uh, the course, you know, we got the course going and it, and it, uh, it, it developed its own life and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and from there, um, of course, lots of building, getting my own builds, I, I probably put around about sort of 10 to 12 instruments together of my own make a year at this sort of uh, stage. Okay. Uh, and you consider some of them are anywhere between sort of 60 to maybe um, you know, 120 hours on, a, on an instrument. So some, it's quite time consuming on top of what was full-time work back then. Mm. And also running this course and you're getting maybe 24 people through a year and it was, it was lots of making. Mm. And it meant speed you know you, you just get better at whatever you do so you're doing when you're actually getting those sort of uh numbers so many through. so many parallels with actually playing you know studying under a master yeah with you, getting good lessons yeah um, practice but just putting in time yeah you know, no matter what you're doing it's there's similar parallels that ten thousand hours theory of yeah, just, it's it's there you know yeah you, you gotta you, you gotta learn from a from a good teacher and you gotta put the time mm. in yourself yeah yeah so from there, of course, it's evolved into my own making of, of these types of things. And I, it was really through Peter Lambert that I, I deviated. I've, I've gone to the, the dark side or the base side where it's gone away from uh, making um, uh, six string guitars for me. I help a lot, a lot of people build those types of things. But uh, what I've become very frustrated with with six string guitar making was that the guitarists are really conservative mob they're like is it a strat is it a tally is it a les ball what is it bass players are not like that they're like 
check out my stuff, man. I've got this really cool thing. It's the latest stuff. So the shtick is really different. They're like, you know, they're, they're proud of being different. They want yeah. to be different. They don't want to be a, a sheep. They want to be mm. something or other else. And also, I think the bass is the kind of instrument where it can, you can, you can vary quite a, quite a lot tonally and mm. still fit into a musical situation. You can. Whereas, yeah. you know, musically, you kind of are after really a Strat or a Les Paul single coil or a humbucker yeah. or a telly yeah. kind of thing. Like those differences are huge. Whereas the difference between these pickups and single coil pickups maybe isn't quite so big yeah, in the context of a yeah. band. Because yeah, true. Yeah. a lot of those frequencies are masked by yes. kick drum and guitar and stuff yes. like that. So yeah, yeah. Like I say this yeah, all you're working time, with the drummer, aren't you? You, you know, I say this all the time, like it's only bass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People out the front here and in the context of the band, yeah. really it's the the bass that we isn't it funny I go and see bands now and I'm listening to the bass players yeah. I'm going how's that working you in know, there and where's that sitting so as long as, as long as that fundamental mm. bassness is in there yeah. I think there's, there's definitely room to, to play with more than guitar perhaps so bass is a young instrument it is uh, it's only been since the 50s now guitars go way back beyond that and the, the DNA for the bass was the double bass uh, mm. and cello type instruments and things like that so it's it's in a high state of evolution at the moment and as a luthier that's really interesting exactly, so you're yeah. not blocked into going it's got to be a strap derivative or something like that it, <laughs> it can be virtually anything at the yeah. moment it could be anything you can think of and it's going to evolve a lot more over the next little while as well I'm not sure it will uh, it hasn't gone anywhere near plateauing Mm. at all so again as a luthier that's a great challenge you know to think about what it is you're making instead of just going into uh, just on the treadmill just going to make more of those kinds yep. of things it's it's wonderful really really good with that type of thing so I've really evolved into to doing a lot more of this type of build um, <coughs> I do have some six string guitars that uh, mm -hmm. that I've I, I've got sitting in the rack that need finishing and so forth but they've sort of been neglected uh, cool well I'm I'm glad you have come to the talk <laughs> it, it's good for the bass community for sure uh, it is it's um, fun it's and fun. I think I think what we'll do is we'll do um, a video where we demonstrate talk about a couple of your bases in depth because we haven't really done that yet but um we'll definitely talk about this guy and this one maybe a couple yeah, yeah. other ones and cool. what makes you know your designs unique yeah to a you. little bit different with that yeah that type of thing sure we'll sure